Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Lookout Landing Podcast. Did you miss me? I sure didn't, because I live with myself every day, and it would be impossible for me to miss myself. But uh, avid listeners will notice that we did not do an episode of this show last week as we debuted uh, a prospect minor league-focused show all under the same feed. So if you are subscribed to the Lookout Landing podcast, you'll now also get They Might Be Mariners, which is John Troopin and Kate Prusser have started a show that is devoted to the minor leagues, a thing that I know almost nothing about and they know everything about. So keep your ears to the street for that as we continue to roll those out, hoping to do one of these a week and one of those a week for the foreseeable future, which is very exciting. So uh, do that wherever you listen to podcasts. But 
Today, I am not here to talk about the minor leagues because I hope to not do that very much ever again. I am joined by another esteemed guest for a shiny new episode of our Why I'm a Mariners fan series. And today's guest is an editor at Factal, a Seattle Storm reporter for Hoopism, uh, a man about the internet, a possible coronavirus quarantiner, and Mariners fan Joe Vieira. Joe, how are we doing in the face of mighty corona? Well, I uh, might not be a Mariner, but I'm glad to be here. Uh, working from working from home at the moment, trying to stay away from the masses. But you know, I just I got to get out and get a cup of coffee from time to time. So, doing my best. Yeah, and actually, I mean, I'm not trying to trivialize this by any stretch of the imagination, but an undeniable benefit is how short the lines are in every public space. The bus is fairly empty. There's a lot of benefits to people. Uh, quarantining themselves from a possible pandemic. What a time to be alive. It really is. And I cannot claim to be an expert on the virus by any stretch of the imagination, but I can read tweets. And I saw that uh, media is now banned from the clubhouse at all spring training events, which I'm sure will get lots of people uh, very measured and very uh, reasonable responses uh, to that news. A lot of beat re- beat reporters, I'm sure, will will handle everything with uh, with in stride and not get upset on the internet or anything like that. But if you do see a guy in a polo shirt and khaki shorts just angrily singing along to Bruce Springsteen at your local dive bar, uh, that is the reason why, in case anyone was wondering what was going on. I also wanted to bring up the fact that uh, people, or not people, I guess, countries have banned um, spectators entirely from sporting events. Have you seen this, Joe? Like, Italy is playing soccer games without any fans? It's a really weird sight to see. And, you know, I think we've all seen the jokes where, you know, the Mariners don't have to really worry about this because after opening day, there's really nobody there anyway. Um so now that we've got that, now that we've got that out of the way, uh, yes, yeah, I, it's just it's the kind of thing that you you never really picture it, like you don't envision any like any situation that gets to this point. And where the Orioles yeah. played that one game in front of no fans, and it seemed like one of those kind of once in a lifetime yes. moments, but I. I mean, I certainly can't speak for what any of the professional teams and leagues will do in this situation, but it'll be very interesting to follow as we inch closer to opening day. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the podcasting will continue, obviously. I mean, we're going to we're going to be brave. We're going to we're going to give the people what they need. But uh, yeah, if you if there is any concern, I always would say err on the side of caution to everyone at home who's either working from home or if you're not able to, and we know that that is a very difficult situation sometimes. So wash your hands, I guess, is the only thing that I've seen that I can definitively repeat without sounding like, um, you know, cosplaying as a scientist or whatever. But I do know what wash your hands means, so I will encourage everyone to do that. Wash your hands, do not touch your face, and maybe more importantly than even those two things, if you're sick or you're feeling unwell, please stay home. Correct. Correct. Which is tough because a lot of people I know want to go to spring training and which is where the Mariners are right now. Um, And the reason that we're gathered here today is to talk about these Seattle Mariners sort of 
you know, we'll get to we'll get to the current roster maybe at the end. Talk about our thoughts for the upcoming season. But uh, as as we've been doing all off season, I uh, I wanted to get Joe on the line here to talk about how, why, and all the other sort of existential questions that surround being a fan of the Seattle Mariners. So, Joe, uh, the most fascinating part to me about Mariner fandom as a concept is that it reached a point, I would say, a couple years ago, maybe three or four years ago, where it became, I think, one of the more singular sporting fan experiences in North America. And by that, I mean, like, the Mariners have such a specific brand of ineptitude all to themselves that a lot of other teams cannot claim to have or have had it in stretches that haven't been as prolonged as the Mariners. So I wanted to ask you, as someone who I think a lot of people on Mariners Twitter will agree is pretty positive, uh, how do you do that? Is that just how you're wired or uh, do you have to kind of, you know, overdo it and say, you know what, I'm gonna like remind yourself, I'm gonna be positive. I'm gonna not let the negativity ruin me. How do you stay so chipper about our beloved Seattle Mariners as they miss the playoffs every year? Oh, well, um, I don't think I look at it in terms of I really have to be positive about this team. But I think what I do is every now and then I, I reflect and I think to myself, am I getting joy out of this experience? Is being a Mariners fan something that is fun to me? And over the past several years, that's been a moving target from, say, you know, 2014 through 2018 contention, the possibility that they could finally break that that playoff drought was what kept me engaged. And into last year, now going into 2020, the focus is a little more on there are all these young players coming up, and hopefully that will be the core of the next team that actually plays into October and not just that one uh regular season game at the at the end of the year that sometimes stretches into the 10th month um but yeah i i ask myself is this is this something that's enjoyable and for me even though what i'm enjoying about the team and watching them has changed over the years it's still it still captures my interest yeah, so were there moments then over the last few years or moments you can remember at any point in your life, I guess, where you started to question that, where you you know, you know were watching a game or reading the news or something and you thought, I'm not getting very much joy out of this anymore and had to sort of take stock of your, your Mariner fandom? I don't think there was a point where I said to myself, I don't know if I want to be a Mariners fan anymore or I think my fandom is waning, but... I do give myself permission, and I think everybody that watches this team should give themselves permission to step back on occasion. And I mean, that was what 2019 was about from the the team perspective. They called it the step back, and I think fans have every right to do the same thing. Because uh, you, you look at last year, you got into like July and August, and there was that weird middle ground where a lot of these quad A players were coming up and playing bigger roles on the team. The you know, Edwin Encarnacion and Jay Bruce were long gone, but a lot of those younger players that we would see in September, like Kyle Lewis and Justin Dunn, weren't up yet. I don't know how much I really tuned in around the midway point of the year. 
that's not to say that my fandom waned in any way, but that it just wasn't as compelling of a product to me as I knew it would be by the end of the year. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. And also, like, as anyone who was watching the Mariners closely will agree, like, that was the truth. Like, it's objectively more fun, I think, to watch the Kyle Lewis's, the Justin Dunn's, the people you mentioned, than it was to watch, you know, without any disrespect to them, like Ryan Court and Mac Williamson, who were playing fairly often in that middle point of the year. And it's not that I didn't necessarily find them interesting in their own way, because I think there is sort of a beauty in the story of like minor league grinder who's just all he wants is a shot and then you know like Mac Williamson had a couple home runs and Ryan Court had one really good game and like that is all cool but knowing that they were never going to be a part of the Mariners after this year was what made me sort of be like I don't like if I didn't have a reason to I wouldn't really watch last year you know and then September comes around and they give you a bunch of reasons to watch and then I was right back in and that was also the kind of like the tease, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's like all the fun stuff happened when the season is over and we should actually, it would be our benefit to be losing. And then we have Kyle Lewis hitting home runs off Trevor Bauer. And I'm like, yes, this is amazing. But wait, now we're winning this game and it would be better if we lost. So I tried to reconcile with all of those feelings while also understanding that like there is, this is a necessary point in doing all of this, right? Like you have to have, some horrible, horrible lineups in order to like reach the point that Jerry and Scott and all the the front office guys wanted to get to. And I think that we're gonna see a really enjoyable step uh, this year. What are your What are your thoughts here? As we're uh, we're about nine days into March when we're recording this, spring training is is in full swing. The season is fast approaching. What are your thoughts about the uh, the Seattle Mariners of twenty twenty? If they win 70 games this year, I will be satisfied. If they win less than 70 games, some of the young guys have really good seasons, but they jet like the bullpen or something turns out to be far worse than we imagine. And we don't imagine it's going to be particularly good to begin with. But, you know, you imagine they blow a lot of like one run leads in late games, win 62, 63 games and have a top three draft pick. I'm not sure I would be particularly sad if that were the result either. So this season's going to be all about Evan White and Shed Long and JP, uh, Kyle Lewis, probably Jake Fraley, um, even Tom Murphy to some extent, and then those young starters, Justice to start the year, probably not too long before um, Justin Dunn is up, and maybe we see Logan Gilbert. It's all going to be about how those guys perform and how they improve. So it's not necessarily that I'm looking for Justice Sheffield to win 15 games this year and become, you know, a two or three starter. But if he, you know, is a 500 pitcher with a FIP under four or 450 and shows that he has the secondary pitches that can complement his fastball to really become a major league caliber starting pitcher. Like that'll be a success, even if the results aren't always there. And that, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of guys. Yeah. I think if I could set an actual 
goal for me personally in terms of like what I would want the Mariners to do this year, it would be that improvement. Like it doesn't like for me the the young guys, it doesn't have to be necessarily even stats based. It's just are they showing signs that they are developing or taking steps forward? Because for a lot of rookies, like they're gonna struggle. I think that's pretty inevitable. Like I don't expect any of them to to be like three or four win players necessarily. If they do, that'd be great. I wouldn't complain, but I think it's, you know, lofty expectations. So I want to see that. I want to see like good signs, I guess. I know that's hard to quantify. And then I would also love a top five draft pick. So like losing and bad stats don't really matter to me as much as just like, I guess, are they showing that they have a core here that could improve and could actually be the, the, the group that does it. And then, are they having fun also? That is actually like a bigger thing for me than I think I realized because spring training is big for that, I think, is like seeing how they feel. Like, because this is the start, right? They have so much baseball ahead of them. And if you see the shitty body language already, that to me would be a horrible sign. So, like, it was a delight. I don't know if you watched it on a Saturday to see Malik Smith mic'd up talking to Ken Griffey Jr., seeming like he was having truly the best day of his entire life and it was a, a spring training game that's like still you know not a, this doesn't matter and he's so happy he's like a kid he had a horrible year last year he's talked about it I think his exact quote was that it was embarrassing and he still came out and was like he seemed genuinely thrilled on that day at least to be a Seattle Mariner and that is almost more important to me than anything else because a fear that I've had throughout the years is like when the Mariners do make a trade or sign a free agent, I worry that that player is like, oh, the Mariners, like for real, I have to go play for them. Like you have to imagine that the conversation happens, you know, like these guys have been in the major leagues for a while. They talk like at Seattle is for a city. It's good. I would imagine. I bet they all you know like being here in the summer. But in terms of the baseball you know, there wasn't a lot of reasons to get excited about being a Mariner in recent years. So I want that to flip. I want the 2020s to be the year that the Mariners become a destination again. And I'm not saying like they have to you know, land a huge free agent in the next couple of years. It would help for building the team, obviously. But I just want the Mariners to sort of get off the mat and not be a punchline anymore. Because for a while, I looked like we were going to become you know, the Browns or the Knicks or pick your, your shitty team in another sport. So those are the things that I will be monitoring this year. Oh, gosh. Imagine being the Knicks, though. Like, I know as Mariners fans, we yeah, can't really Yeah, I mean, talk, that's the, the fear. Knicks. Well, you know, at least we don't have our front office arguing with, like, Spike Lee about how you enter Madison Square Garden. Like, for everything <laughs> we've been through over the past... 18 playoff list years we haven't had some weird celebrity friction moment like that so that is that is at least one saving grace totally it's an interesting i guess case study into like being bad when no one knows about it and then being bad when everyone knows about it because like baseball is already a notch below the nba and then obviously seattle and new york are very different media markets but i do wonder like if the Mariners were in a slightly more, ge like, geographically, if they were in a slightly more central or, like, a bigger East Coast market and they had been out of the playoffs for 18 years, I think we would be closer to that territory than we are. And I'm totally fine with the Mariners sort of suffering in silence for 18 years. That seems way, way better than being the next, as most things do. 
oh yeah i would rather be the pacific northwest afterthought than the national punchline so so we've got that going for us it, we sure do that is a really good point something we must consider every day um, speaking of Pacific Northwest afterthoughts, uh, are you, are you, how long have you been in Seattle? Are you a lifer or are you, when did you, uh, when did you become aware of the Mariners? Was this from as far back as you can remember, or was there one moment that sort of sparked it all off for you? Yeah, I am that dying breed of Seattle lifer. Um, okay. Where, whereabouts, where did you grow up? I think, so. So I was born in Seattle and raised in Shoreline, though in my defense, if you went out to the street in front of my my childhood home, you could look north and you would see the city limits. I think that counts. I think I can still say that I am a lifelong Seattleite and I will, you know, I'll take that fight to my, my Twitter mentions if I have to. <laughs> um, but as far as the Mariners are concerned, I... I was two years old in 1995, so I was a little young to truly understand what was happening then and embrace the first years of fun baseball in Seattle. But uh, in Christmas of 1996, I got the team highlight video as a gift. Now. We all know that the 1996 Seattle Mariners did not make the playoffs. That would be the equivalent of making, you know, a 2014 or 2016 highlight reel. You know, fun, fun seasons, don't get me wrong, but not ones you would necessarily look back on with this, uh, this fondness. But for me, I absolutely wore down that tape. So there's like a soft spot in my heart for the, the 96 Mariners, which was, you know, A-Rod's rookie year, um, got Jamie Moyer at the deadline. So, you know, they were building pieces for the future, but, uh, and I think my favorite part of that video is right at the end, there is a five or so minute just highlight package that is set to, the first song is just like pure club pop and it transitions into a Gloria Estefan song like I, I would encourage you if you're listening to this to go look up you gotta love these guys because I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere and just watch that highlight reel because it is the just purest most unadulterated piece of the mid-1990s that you can imagine that is incredible and I have similar experiences I mean I think part of it is just that we were born around the same time but uh, highlight videos were huge back then and this was you know the VHS I had I had my oh my so I had the 95 highlight mm -hmm. video which was objectively I guess a better season and I, I haven't seen the 96 one so I can't speak to the production value or the soundtrack but I watched the 95 one because I have no memories of it actually happening but when I was like I guess three, four years old, I was doing that thing that kids do where you like watch the same thing every single day and you're just obsessed with repetition. So I was like four years mm -hmm. old telling people all about like Doug Strange, you know, and they were like, this kid is out of his mind. The teachers were concerned <laughs> about me, but that was like, it was huge. It was what I loved. And like my family liked the Mariners, obviously that's why they bought the, the video. So we kind of, I grew into that with them where because my family kind of came to Seattle in the 90s anyway. So they became Mariners fans right around the time I was born. So it was like we were all kind of doing it 
together, which was really fun. Um, but I also, to go into the music thing, another big part of my formative uh, Mariner experience is the Zombie Nation song that they would play at every game in like the early 2000s. Those are my, my first memories of Safeco are set to the oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and I don't know why they don't play it anymore. There's I've never heard a good reason for it. Maybe it doesn't have the nostalgic value for the same people that are going now, but it's a great song. I think we need more club pop garbage in every major league stadium. What do you think? Is that what we need to turn the tide and end this drought once and for all to bring that back? Because I'm, I'm all for uh, starting that campaign. I think so. I think too, if we could, if we could take it to the next step, we play it during every Houston Astros at bat so that it drowns out any sort of erroneous noise they're making that is uh, for cheating purposes. Instead, they just have to hear Zombie Nation the entire time for all nine games or whatever it is that they play in Seattle each year. When is mini garbage can night? I am far from the first person to make that suggestion, but if at, at least one game this upcoming season we don't all get these like small compost bins or something on the way into the ballpark against the, against the Astros. Like what a missed opportunity. Yeah. I think unfortunately the, uh, the corporate uh, overlords at MLB are not going to let that happen officially. I've seen minor league teams are doing it, which is fantastic. Minor league baseball is the greatest for that sort of stuff. And I think that they should be encouraged to do things like that, but the major leagues don't seem as keen on, dunking on the Astros the way that people on the internet are but so I think we're gonna have to make it a grassroots effort and it starts right here the first Houston game in Seattle this year everyone please bring a compost bin let's make it as Seattle as possible a compost bin that's ethically sourced and all that Uh, we'll reuse them later obviously don't just ditch them after the game and let's make life um, a very passive aggressive hell for the Houston Astros you know, we'll um, we'll do some research. We'll look into what the requirements are for T-Mobile Park to bring something in. And, you know, we'll work around those regulations the best we can and we'll we'll make it work. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so as a fellow uh, mid 90s child, uh, I have a little bit of the unfortunate luck in not really remembering Ken Griffey Jr. I have very, very, very sort of hazy memories. Like, I remember more of, like, the idea of him than actually watching him play. And I remember him being in the the cult classic Little Big League as the villain, which was weird to see the Mariners Great as movie. the villain in a movie. But um, I bring that up to ask you, uh, A, I guess, if you want to talk about Little Big League, this is your time. But B, uh, who was your first guy? Like, you mentioned A-Rod, but uh, I want to know... As a person born in the mid-90s who kind of missed the height of Griffey, who was the first Mariner you remember sort of falling in love with? Hmm. So, first of all, Little Big League maybe my favorite of the baseball movies because the Mariners are the villains. And, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched this movie from about 25 years ago, the Mariners win at the end. <laughs> it's like the Mariners are the ones going to the playoffs and it's like what more could I possibly want from a baseball movie than this yeah it's also very Mariners that they only make the playoffs because they beat a 14 year old but that's fine <laughs> yeah, we, we'll take what we can get especially now um, <laughs> if any other major league teams would like to employ 14 year olds as their managers um, 
by all means. Uh, but yeah, Griffey was a bit, just a bit before my time as well, uh, 96 highlight video aside. So my first, like, guy was Ichiro. And I most definitely did that shoulder tug when I played Little League. Uh, not that it actually led to any uh, concrete results, but it, it felt like it would. Like, if I go into the batter's box and I try to emulate what Ichiro is doing to the best of my abilities, the, the muscle memory's got to lead somewhere. Um, so still waiting for that payoff. But, but he, was, he was my guy. He was the, the epitome of cool back then. Like, I was, I was eight years old in 2001, and you could not have chosen a better time in the formative years of my fandom for a team to win 116 games and just look so effortless at doing it. And that was part of what made Ichiro just so iconic was that he just went up there and did his thing, and it didn't seem like anything. But there he is, just slapping singles and stealing bases and making amazing defensive plays every night with with you know to a kid it just doesn't seem like a ton of effort but you know now how much he put into those preparations every day to become the player he was absolutely and uh stick with me here joe this is a theory i came up with uh literally yesterday when i was watching the lakers and the clippers play uh i think that Kawhi leonard reminds me a lot of ichiro in the sort of effortless cool that you're talking about, but also like undeniably great and kind of intimidating in their quietness. Like obviously Ichiro was quiet for, you know, there was the language reasons, whereas Kawhi is just not interested in interacting with anyone, which I also think is great. But like there is something that I'm really drawn to in athletes who have who have that sort of barrier. Because now, especially, we have so much access to these guys, and I'm always very intrigued by the people that we don't really know anything about. And with both Ichiro and Kawhi, it's like you'll hear a story every couple of years that's actually like, oh, he's very funny. You're like, oh, he has this quirk about him, and that makes it, it just adds to the legend a little bit. So uh, I'm going to trademark that. Ichiro equals Kawhi Leonard. Uh, hopefully they'll do some sort of very strange endorsement together. But uh, I just wanted to get that out on a... Uh, on wax for the listeners after watching Kawhi yesterday. There's a lot of similarities there, and now you're never going to not see him. All right, all right. Your ideas are intriguing to me, and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let me ask you a real question, then. Do you think... Uh, or I guess not do you think, how do you think your Mariner fandom 
would be different if they hadn't had the 2001 season. Like, if you were born into the playoff drought and your first 18 years of life, they don't have any success, how do you think, if at all, that would have changed things for you? You know, I think for me, while the 01 season and that kind of sustained late 90s, early 2000s success lined up, with that that part of my childhood i i don't know if it would have made a difference if i had made the same memories with my family that i did during that time even if they hadn't made the playoffs because when i think back to like the moments that i cherished the most about being a mariners fan it was just going to the ballpark with my mom and dad and for me it was very personal because when Right after I started kindergarten, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And when the three of us would go to the ballpark, you know, you're just captured by the, the, the majesty of it all. And you're surrounded by 40, at that time, you were surrounded by 40,000 other people every time you go out there. And everything just feels normal. And for me, that was a time that you know, your life kind of gets flipped upside down. But those experiences were the, the moments you could hang on to when things were tough. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, yeah, my uh, my mom died of cancer uh, in the during the 2015 season. And then there was just a weird string of like really, really indelible moments, at least for the Mariners, you know, like other teams, it wouldn't be as cool. But there was the Goody walk off where he had, you know, his comeback and he hit the walk off against the Blue Jays. That was right after that. And then uh, later Kuma threw the no hitter and I was at both of those games. So I saw them in person and it sort of just adds to that, you know, that feeling of community where it's like, I don't think, you know, I'm not really like a a spiritual or even, you know, I don't re- know if I believe in higher powers or anything like that. But uh, when stuff like that happens, like you're at, you know, the ballpark, which is something that I also, you know, did with my family a lot. And like the Mariners are very tied into the fabric of my childhood and growing up with my family. And then when you're in person for something like that, it's hard to not get emotional about the Mariners or at least think about how much they mean to you. And like, it's obviously like, I'm never gonna not feel that way. But when things like that do happen, and you're confronted by sort of the beauty of sports and how magical they can be, for lack of a better term, it really just heightens everything that you're doing for the rest of time. Like now when I watch the Mariners too, I think about my mom, and I think about like all of the things that she got to witness, and sadly, some of the things she didn't get to witness. And it's all, you know, it's all very, um, trying to think of the word here it's all very overwhelming sometimes when you realize how much of your life you've given to the mariners and how it's kind of inextricably woven into everything else you know Mm -hmm. and i think that's part of what would make it tough for me to root for another team even as just being a general baseball fan it's because i could never recreate those moments that i had with my dad that um i wouldn't be able to to do that with any other team like the Mariners are always going to have that connection for me and it's um 
I mean, it's something I'm gonna gonna cherish forever. So even if my my interest in the team wanes from year to year, they 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 have that that piece of my heart and my memories forever. Like there's no there's no going back. Yeah, and I think I mean I feel like I've probably said this in every one of these, but that's what is gonna make the the end of the drought so sweet is just all of the things because everyone's drought, I guess, is different like we all have had different experiences throughout the the badness and you know some of it is just age like some of us have you know kind of grown up during it like you know you and I it sounds like to some extent kind of did you know childhood into you know high school and college and now early adulthood without ever seeing the Mariners (laughs) in the playoffs and for some people it's been you know they they grew up with them being good and now they haven't been good since and that's kind of their reason for stepping back so whenever it does finally come to an end I think it's going to be so fascinating to watch the outpouring of emotions from every corner of Mariner fandom, young and old, or, you know, super, super invested to just got back into it like that to me. And I think at that point, like, I'm not, you know, trying to gatekeep or anything, but like, we got to just let everyone in, you know, like the more the merrier at that point, let's all just cheer up. Like that first playoff game is going to be such an experience. I do worry it's going to cost $10,000 to get in the door, but that's going to be something that I think, like a huge watershed moment for the city of Seattle. I know that sounds kind of hyperbolic, but whenever it happens, it's going to be, I think, truly a, a moment with a capital M, you know? I I just, I, I definitely thought about it both at the end of 2014 and the end of 2016, that that release that would come with them making the playoffs. And if, if we could have just had either one of those, you know, I still just kind of lament how the ends of both of those seasons worked. Um, you know, Felix is uh, walking off the mound in 162 and the uh, extra innings loss in 161 two years later. Uh, on the one hand, as nice as it would have been to have made the playoffs in either one of those years, that just kind of adds to the... Um, adds to the moment that will be at some point in the future. Uh, we can talk about whatever the, the timeline that Jerry Depoto and the front offices set out, but to know that they've, they've gotten so close a few times in that drought. And that's something that, that only we as Mariners fans realize is just how close they've come. I think the national perception is you just see that 18-year um, playoff drought. You just see that number. But if you followed the team, you remember, you know, how close they came in 2002 and 2003 and in 2007. And they even won 85 in 2009. Like there was not this sustained streak of just abhorrent play that you would you would see from like the Cleveland Browns. Like the Cleveland Browns haven't made the playoffs in however long and they haven't really come close We've come close, and that's what made it hurt more at the time, but will be so much more rewarding in the payoff when it comes, I think at least. Right, and I was going to say, like, it's very fitting, I think, that a huge entry point to the Mariners for you is a highlight video of a team that didn't make the playoffs. Like, that seems very fitting of Mariner fandom in a nutshell. It's like, cherish 
everything, even the ones like even the the seasons that other teams would spit on. Like, you know, no Yankee or Cardinal or Dodger fan has fond memories of the team not making the playoffs. Like that's kind of the end of the world situation for them. But with the Mariners, you're totally right. I mean, my favorite Mariners season of all time was probably 2018. And that was a terrible year from about, you know, the all-star break on really. Like there was not a lot of good moments, but I still like think of it in retrospect. I think of it for only the good parts and kind of get rid of the negative parts. Like I can see, Mitch Hanniger's home run in the rain and like Gene Segura not fighting everyone in the clubhouse. Like I only, I only want the, the parts that I choose to, to remember. And that is like with the Mariners, you're a hundred percent right. That is such a different experience than for other teams who have been awful or consistently good. Even like we have to, to find the joy in almost or sometimes. And that's, that can be tough to do, but I think, the fact that we're still here talking about them and, you know, excited for the 2020 season, knowing it's going to be nowhere close to that is also all very, very Seattle Mariners fan. Um, you, you mentioned just kind of having to take the joy in those those moments as they come. Uh, sometimes you have to kind of make the fun yourself. And this this will this takes me back to right after my senior year of high school. And if you grew up around here and then went to to uh, college around here, your your summer after your senior year of high school is your longest summer. So that year, you know, I finished my high school classes in late May and didn't start uh, at the UW until the end of September. So that entire summer was was open, and that was a year where the Mariners played about 500 ball until around the All Star break. So me and some of my friends spent a lot of time at, at Safeco. And one of the things we did that year was, and this was right after the, they had updated the, the pen, and maybe a bit before it had quite that reputation for being a, a, a hot spot, you know, your mm-hmm. pseudo club where you don't have to pay attention to the game. So we would we would spend a lot of time down in the the bullpen because you know you'll buy the cheapest seats that we can and that's a great view of the field if it's not too crowded and that season it was not too crowded at all and um, we built a bit of a relationship with the bullpen catcher at the time Jason Phillips you know we we'd call out to him he'd toss us a baseball or something and we decided to start the Jason Phillips fan club. Uh, PH fan, of course. So we actually, we got a, a, a giant cardboard cutout head of him printed out and we would go hang out in the bullpen and we would cheer for him every time he came in from, from doing long toss. And, you know, in hindsight and probably even at the time, you know, no, at the time we, we knew that he might not take this very well. Like, who's rooting for the bullpen catcher that that could easily be be construed as just mocking him and i think we actually like wrote him a letter to say hey you know we know how this looks but really we we do appreciate the work that you do like we are actually fans of yours um but we we just had a lot of fun with our giant cardboard head and uh, pound around with the bullpen catcher and 
that's the kind of thing I think you have to do sometimes when you're watching a team that isn't having the most success on the field to still have a good time and just enjoy the experience. Yeah, I think that is perfect. That is exactly how one can handle the Mariners without sort of falling victim to the Mariners, you know? Like you can finding your joy is such a is such an important piece of all of this and knowing that cuz there's so many years we've had and what year was the Jason Phillips year? Do you remember? Was it uh like was that it a, a bad bad was, year? Well, that was Oh gosh, that was it was 2011, so it was Michael it was Michael Pineda's year where he he okay. made the All-Star team that year as a rookie, I think, and they they played decently for about the first half and then it all absolutely fell apart and they won like 65, 66 games. Okay. That sounds about right. But what I was going to say is like there are so many years and I think 2011 counts where you know from the very first game that they're not going to be good. And that can be daunting for a lot of people. But like you said, if you find the little things that you enjoy, like for me and a lot of, you know, a lot of Mariners fans, I'm sure you find a guy like you had Jason Phillips, who wasn't even on the team, really. But like, like we, we did not have to worry about his success um, on the field, which which really just made it even better. Is he is he getting the balls in after the guys are playing long toss in the outfield? Yes, he is, and he's doing a damn good job. <laughs> That's true. That actually might be a genius move. Is finding it's like you know when basketball fans root for the the last person on the bench. You know, it's like oh we can we can cheer for them. We don't want it to be patronizing. We're not mocking you, but. You know, there's no there's no pressure. You don't have to go out there and score 20 points for us or hit 300. Just just do you. So that's that's beautiful. But what I was going to say is I like I've done that so many times where like I mentioned Wade LeBlanc or Jack Wilson or James Jones. He was on the team, I guess, when they were actually competing. But finding the little guys or not, you know, the guys who probably aren't actually good in terms of numbers and, you know, objective analysis finding those guys and just running with them are i think to me at least one of the the best parts of sports in general not even just the mariners like the seahawks have been good now for it feels like 10 straight years and some of my favorite players on the team were the the third stringers or like the random guys who do something once every five games so i can definitely relate to that and i think joe this is a great time then to talk about uh, really just the martyr of the Seattle Mariners and their online community, especially. Uh, you are perhaps one of the internet's most uh, knowledgeable experts on this topic, a leading stan, if you will, on a, on a man that sort of soared across all of our lives like a comet. I'm talking, of course, about Deho Lee. Uh, I know that Deho is very special to you, so I will just give you the floor for any sort of uh, monologue or song or spoken word piece about what Deho Lee means to you. Oh gosh, I'm so happy we're talking about Deho. I was really I was really hoping that that he would come up. And you know, I I I can't say for sure what it was at first that that had me interested in his his persona because I I mean, I originally saw off-season of 2015 that this Korean first baseman that had been playing in Japan is looking to make the jump to the majors. And with the revolving door we had at first base that, you know, hopefully this is the year that finally 
brings that to a close with the long tenure of Evan White. Um, with the, the, the shifting that we had, I thought this guy might be an interesting fit for the Mariners. And then when they brought him in, it was like immediately he was my guy. Here was this guy that wanted to come stateside and just get his chance to play in the majors because he had he'd already done so well in Asia. Like there were there were no more worlds left to to conquer but the major leagues. <laughs> and for this, you know, mid thirties player, you know, and that's something we hadn't necessarily seen all that often in because um, usually when those those players come over from Japan or Korea, they're they're at least a bit younger. So major league teams are then getting these guys in their primes. But with Deho, he was already starting to head towards the the tail end of his career. And that was just such a compelling storyline to me. And it it really it paid off in spades at least in my perspective, to latch on onto him. And I was at that final game of that first homestand where he hit that walk-off against Texas. And that um, the, the Korean call is still echoing. It's still echoing through my brain, even now, even uh, almost four full years later. Like, that was just such an unforgettable moment. And that was that was just like the payoff of getting invested in him. And obviously, my interest just spiked after that, and I was his biggest stand from that point forward. There was there was no Deho Lee fan club, but uh, he was just he became my guy. And that's one of those things about being a Mariners fan. It's like I don't know how many other places where. Deho Lee would have become the folk hero that he was here. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like a first baseman who didn't play every day, who wasn't good at anything besides power. Uh, and like really was only here for a very, very short amount of time. Like there's not a lot of reasons on paper why that person should resonate with the fans like he did. But I mean, you hit the nail on the head, everything about Deho from that home run against Texas to the end of his Mariners tenure was so memorable, even if it was not very long. Like, it was remarkable and unremarkable all at once, which I guess is kind of the entire existence of the Seattle Mariners. So it's very fitting that he's that he's your guy and so many other people's guys. I'm sure there's lots of lots of listeners out there just nodding vigorously to everything you said about Deho. <laughs> oh, he will, he will always have a, uh, a portion of my heart. Like no other first baseman will ever, will ever quite capture my imagination like he did. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, he was, he was a comet, like I said, and we only saw a small glimpse of him. But boy, was it bright. Um, that comet traveled at least four hundred and fifty feet off the bat. The launch angle of that comet <laughs> was just amazing. There's no, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Great exit, Velo. The Comet somehow had a leg kick. It was really, really a sight to see. Okay, the last specific question I want to ask you, and then we can do sort of a lightning round on the current state of the team, is uh, you 
We're pretty uh, pretty involved in the Maple Grove, the the fan section dedicated to James Paxton that was in the left field bleachers for each of his starts. I've talked to Hillary Kirby, one of the Maple Grove's co-founders, about the way it came together and sort of the the DIYness of the Grove. So I encourage everyone to listen to that episode from December, I believe. But I wanted to just get your perspective on it. I don't really have a question, but um, I just want to know what about James Paxton, I guess, um, made you so inspired and how did you uh, how did you end up getting involved with all of those lovely people in the Grove? Oh, gosh, what an experience that was. Um, so I will say, first of all, I wasn't really an idea guy for the Maple Grove. I was just someone that was more along for the ride. Um, and, you know, as I said, you know, you got to kind of make your own fun with these teams, regardless of how successful they are. And I think the the Maple Grove and how it got started was that exact idea of creating your own experience. Uh, so I had I had worked with Hillary in college. We worked together on the, the campus newspaper and I knew Daniel through Twitter. So I, I already knew these people as we kind of crafted this idea to essentially troll the Blue Jays fans during one of their many, many, many unfortunate takeovers of our ballpark. Uh, so just the the way it all came together with deciding to really piggyback on Daniel's Blue Jays trolling while also deciding to back our own Canadian. And it just, I don't know if it all would have came together quite the same way if we didn't have James Paxton pitching against the Blue Jays at some point. It was all very fortuitous that we were able to make that happen. Um, but it was so much fun the first time, even though we, we I'm pretty sure we lost that game. And isn't that the story of Mariners fandom? That was a lot of fun, even though we lost. Um, it was something that we pretty much all immediately thought, we need to do this again. And, you know, it really just took on a life of its own from there. Were you part of the group that got to meet James Paxton in person on the field? And if so, um, what did James Paxton smell like? That's my only question. Um, so, yes, I, I was part of that group. And boy, how do I even answer that question without sounding really weird? Uh, <laughs> you know, the only smell I can remember from that experience are the maple bars that he brought. It's very so I, I can't for say him. for I feel sure like that might have been a cover up. So, yeah, I, I can't say for sure if he personally smelled like maple bars, but I can't say that he didn't either. There, there's just kind of the, um, the the reporter mindset for you. I can neither confirm nor deny that James Paxton smelled like maple bars. All right, then let's uh, let's wrap up with a couple questions uh, pertinent to these here Mariners, the ones that we are going to watch in 2020. Uh, Actually, wait, hold on. First, uh, Felix Hernandez. You've seen this. You've heard about this. The 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 um, resurgence of Felix Hernandez. If you want to call it that. Yeah, I was going to I left it intentionally vague to see how you were going to (laughs) feel that question. Um, Yeah, you can say resurgence. I will I will call it a resurgence, and I will be over the moon happy if Felix Hernandez is a serviceable major league starting pitcher in 2020. 
it it, it kind of strikes me as one of those things where he probably needed the the change of scenery and the Mariners probably needed to move on from the King, but I wish him nothing but success. So I'm, I'm really hoping he wins that rotation spot in Atlanta and uh, shows he's still got a little left in the tank. Yeah, he's looking good. I mean, obviously it's spring training, so we have to, we have to include that caveat, but I mean, Atlanta also has an injury in their rotation to, to Cole Hamels, I believe. So there's a spot for him. And he's pitching like he wants it, but uh, I just, I don't know. I feel like we've seen with our own eyes for so long that he doesn't have it anymore that it's almost like we have to, it's weird to like have your brain be in direct contrast with your eyes. Cause I agree. Like I want him and part of me thinks that he will be good, but also the last three years of him being a Mariner are saying otherwise. So I think we see him get the rotation spot and be like, incredibly average to maybe slightly below average but I think the only way this ends is that he throws exactly one inning in the playoffs and then then never pitches in the playoffs ever again I think that's how it has to go just whatever it takes get that man a playoff appearance please I am like I feel so bad that we were not able to give that to him here and that we couldn't have one playoff Kings court like that is just that is the most heartbreaking thing to me maybe maybe the most heartbreaking thing about the 18-year playoff drought the fact that we could not get Felix a playoff game and he gave us everything and we did not fully build a roster around him to to get over the hump and that's just such a such a shame and probably why I'm so personally okay with him going somewhere else and hopefully having that moment even though it won't it won't quite be the same but for him to just reach that that point even once absolutely everyone reaches that point where they just got to move on and I think the Mariners and Felix both got there and I don't think like it doesn't seem like there's that much ill will we obviously don't know the whole story but like I think Felix left knowing that it was supposed to happen rather than being like, oh, they don't want me anymore. You know, I think I think I I'm going to take comfort in at least my projection of that being the case. So even if it's not, don't tell me. Okay, Joe, last question for you. Uh, What is your hype level for the rebuild and uh, follow up question? Who is your favorite of the Mariners prospects, whether it's a guy who's already been up or one of the Rugrats in the low minors, who is the one that you're, you're hitching your wagon to. All right. So on on the hype meter, are we, are we doing a scale of like one to 10 or one to a hundred? Let's go one to a hundred. It's more, more room for nuance. That's true. So I think my, my hype for the rebuild one to 100, probably about 80. 80, 85. I'm really excited to see what this team does in the next few years, even if we're not necessarily going to see the on-field results in in 2020. Um, and then my favorite among the prospects, I, I think I'm going to choose two. I'm going to go with one that's on the Major League roster right now and one that's a little further away. So at the moment, Kyle Lewis, I think, holds that that hype spot for me on the on the major league roster because you know you I think we we all know the stories that 
of what he had to go through just to get to this point because he it felt like when we drafted him he was such just this can't miss prospect and to have his you know his season multiple seasons derailed by that knee injury and the adversity that he had to to go through just to get to this point and then to follow that up by getting up to the major league roster and just absolutely crushing the baseball was just just such it must have been such vindication for him for all of the the rehab to be worth it and i i think he's primed to take another step forward this year and, and then um as for players that are a little a little further away I, I think I'm pretty excited for for Cal Raleigh. Uh, oh, this team, this team hasn't had an elite catcher in quite some time. I mean, if if ever, and this is coming from someone that liked Mike Zanino. Mike Zanino was good. I just want that to be. I want that to be clear. Mike Zanino was good. Um, but I'm I'm pretty hyped to see someone like Cal Raleigh that has has a bit of pop in his bat, and you know can can do some stuff behind the plate. It's 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 one of those guys that I don't think is being talked about very much nationally, and obviously uh, Kelnick and Julio really take up a lot of the the air in the room there. But I would I would keep an eye on Cal. I love that. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of attention. That is true. So I'm glad that you said it. Uh, and I think that you're right. The Mariners have never had a great catcher. Dan Wilson is the best just because he stuck around for so long. And I think that it'll be a welcome sight to have a switch hitting, you know, competent offensive catcher, but also one that projects to be to be very good defensively. And if you don't want to say it, or if you weren't thinking it, haven't noticed it, I will. The man has a tremendous ass. And I think for a catcher, you need to have that <laughs> that asset, if you will. So everything about Cal Raleigh is uh, is looking great from from where I'm sitting. So, uh, yes, thank you for starting, starting the hype train on that one early as he uh, progresses through the minors. All right, Joe, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, that was the fun part. You get to talk about yourself. Uh, please direct the people to where they can find you on the internet, plug whatever social media channel or website uh, you want to. The floor is yours for self-promotion. Well, I, I have a feeling that for the vast majority of people listening to this, they have already, whether they want to or not, seen my takes on Twitter. But if you somehow have not uh first off god bless you second off uh it's at joe vieira j-o-e-v-e-y-e-r-a on twitter you will find all of the mariners takes you could ever want and also a lot of news if you are trying to keep up with this crazy world we live in Joe is your guy, and I think that a lot of that blends together. You say crazy news, you say the Mariners, I hear the exact same set of words. So go to Joe for all of that. Continue to read and follow and do everything you already do with LookoutLanding.com. Like I said, we got a Prospects a prospects podcast now, which is tough to say, but we do have it. You can listen to it every week. 
as well as this, uh, once the season starts, this show, the Lookout Landing podcast, will be more MLB-centric, and they might be Mariners. I'll be focused on the various minor league teams, but it's all under one umbrella. If you're subscribed to the Lookout Landing podcast, you get both of them, baby. So thank you for listening. Uh, absolutely just demolish that subscribe button and stick around throughout the rest of the offseason as, uh, as we keep doing this and carry you into the 2020 Mariners. Thank you to my guest, Joe Vieira. You were a blast to talk to. I will see you at the stadium this year, I'm sure. And if not, I will read all of your wonderful takes on Twitter. But until that happens, goodbye.